If you'd please turn to James chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 12 and read down through the end of the chapter. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Do do not be deceived, my beloved. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of the lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not forgetful, a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, This one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You may be seated. Would you pray with me this morning as we begin? Father, I ask this morning that your word would penetrate our hearts and our minds. That we would have ears to hear this morning what your spirit says to us. And that in hearing we would be doing. We would obey these words that we hear this morning. For they come from you. They are the words of God. May we listen in such a way that we comprehend that these are your words. And because they're your words, it would be our heart's desire, it would be the cry of our heart to follow you and to obey your words of instruction. Help us in this this morning that we might be attentive to hear your word. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. smoke alarm started beeping this past week. I've heard the beep before. It's that time of year to change the batteries. Smoke alarm. The good news is that when that battery starts to lose power, it, it does something. It sends out a signal. Pretty loud beep. Now, well, just one in and of itself isn't all that bad, but it just keeps going. And it just keeps going until you deal with it. 
you don't deal with it, keeps beeping. I suppose there are a few ways that one can deal with a beeping smoke alarm. If I was concerned only with the the monotonous beeping, I could disconnect the battery from the smoke alarm and just pitch the battery to the side. I can make sure that the wiring that connects the electrical to the smoke alarm is disconnected so that it won't keep making that annoying beep sound. I can manage to then position that smoke alarm and affix it back to the ceiling, putting it back there so that it looks good. It's there where it's supposed to be. And now it's as good as new. No beeping. By the way, I didn't opt for that plan this past week. You could also change the battery out of the smoke alarm. You could insert a new battery and reconnect the smoke alarm to the electrical power source. Now, option one and option two both eliminate the beeping. What's the difference? Church, we need to understand a smoke alarm is intended to alarm you. To alert you to smoke in the room. It beeps as loudly as it does to draw everyone's attention to the perilous conditions that are present in the room. Something is burning. There's smoke in the room. So it serves a good purpose, does it not? To have a smoke alarm that functions properly. Option number one would not be a wise decision. Discarding the battery, which operates the smoke alarm, and disconnecting the electrical power source from the smoke alarm, you might like the idea of no beeping. Now, you have forever eliminated the beep problem. However, in eliminating that problem, you have created a much larger potential problem for you and your household. The one who opts for option number one has missed the purpose and the priority of a smoke alarm. The purpose is not to eliminate the beeping forever. The purpose is to have a smoke alarm ready to beep when needed. Amen? We want it ready when it's needed. It's going to alert you to danger. And you're here today... And perhaps you would never follow through with option one as I just described it. I hope not. For the sake of you and your family, I hope not. But I wonder, how many of you apply a similar option one mentality when it comes to living the Christian life? You know what a Christian is called to do from the word. You know that a Christian is called to walk in obedience to the commands of the Holy Scriptures. You know Psalm 119 verses 9 and 11 that talk about what it takes for a man to cleanse his way, to take heed according to his word. You know that the word says 
How important it is to hide his word in your heart that you might not sin against him. You know that the word speaks to working out your salvation with fear and trembling as God works in you both to will and to do according to his purpose. You know that in Christ you are light and that you're called to walk as children of light, that you're called to walk in love, that you're called to walk in wisdom. You know that the members of your body now from Romans 6 are to be used for instruments of righteousness, not unrighteousness. You know that you're now to set your mind on things above, not things here on the earth. That's what Colossians 3 tells us. You know that you're to guard your heart, to keep your heart with all diligence, Proverbs 4.23, that you are to set a guard before your eyes. You see, if you're in Christ, you know these things. And yet, here, are you ready for it? Here it is. This is the point James is addressing in the text this morning. You know what he requires of you, and yet you are content living a disconnected life. Sort of like that smoke alarm. You like the fact that it's not beeping, and you just disconnect it. Disconnected in two fronts. Disconnected from the power source of the Holy Spirit in you. Disconnected from the life of the body of Christ, those here seated next to you. What happens when a Christian lives disconnected in this manner? What happens? Let me give you two things. First of all, he operates in the flesh. He operates in the flesh. Romans 8 verse 8 says, So then those who are in the flesh cannot, cannot means not possible, cannot please God. How many of you here desire to please God with your life? I hope we get everybody's hand raised. I hope we all desire to please God with our lives. The Bible says that walking, living, operating in the flesh, you cannot please God. The Bible says in Galatians 5, 16, Paul says, I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. A little bit later in Galatians 5, we read this list. The works of the flesh are evident. Listen to this list. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry. Idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not, will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's operating in the flesh. Patterning your life in the flesh. So I'm going to ask a simple question here. Is it okay for a Christian to operate according to the flesh? No, it's not. But not only does he operate in the flesh, when a Christian lives a disconnected life, he operates in the flesh, but he also operates alone. Corinthians 12, as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For in, in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Romans 12, 4 and 5, for as we have many members in one body, 
But all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Did you get that? We're members of one another. Proverbs 18.1 says a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. Isn't that interesting? We've been talking about our own desires in James 1, haven't we? Our own desires take us down that path of sin. The one who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. So I ask the same question, a similar question here. Is it okay for the Christian to isolate himself in this life? I hope we come to the conclusion, no, it's not okay. It's not okay. It's not acceptable. God's word would say no to walking in the flesh. God's word would say no to operating in isolation. My hope this morning, church, is that the word of God takes root and that you no longer settle for disconnected living. Whether that relates to walking in the spirit or walking with your brother and sister in Christ. You see, the two are connected. You realize that, don't you? They're they're connected. One drives the other, in fact. The spirit in you will guide you toward loving your brother and loving your sister. Attempting to walk with your brother or sister without walking in the spirit. Church, that's no better than a smoke alarm affixed to the ceiling, disconnected from its power source. Might look good, might look the part, but there's no power behind it. It's what James is going to call useless Religion. Useless religion. There are two points to this message. The first one has to do with useless religion. The second one has to do with pure and undefiled religion. First of all, this useless religion. I believe there's a question, hopefully as you studied the text this week, there's a question that just popped off the page What is meant by religion as James uses it in the text? You know, when I read of religion or hear someone speaking of being religious, have you heard somebody say that? Oh, so-and-so is just religious. I have to be honest. A lot of red flags go flying up when I hear somebody talk about being religious. You see, religion is a well-used word today. And yet when that word gets spoken, there are oftentimes many definitions, different kinds of definitions that follow. Religious oftentimes points to something someone does, right? Something someone does. Attends a church gathering. Prays a prayer. Reads his Bible. Serves others. Or perhaps it falls under the category of refraining from certain vices. If someone is religious, they don't smoke, they don't drink, they don't cheat, they don't fill in the blank. They're religious because they don't do something. Is that the kind of religion James has in mind here in the text? And how would the Bible define the religion called for in the life of a Christian? 
Those are some questions I think are good to ask. Deuteronomy, you know, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13 says, Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to, listen to this list. Fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him. We've encountered that a couple times in James 1. To serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Or Micah 6, verse 8, well-known passage of scripture. Says, he has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. If you listen closely to those scriptures, you discover that religion for God's people is rooted in obedience to God and flows outward in service and love toward others. There's walking humbly and fearing the Lord rooted in the heart. And there's also love toward others and doing justly. Outward service. One writer speaks of this word religious. Talks about how this word is used widely in, in, in Greek religion to denote the reverencing and worshiping of a god or gods. It often connotes outward acts of worship. The true test, he says, of any religious profession, as he reads James, he puts this forth and says, the true test is not the outward ritual of worship, which many go through unthinkingly and with little heart commitment. No, the real litmus test of religion is obedience. Without it, religion is vain. Obedience. Useless religion, according to James, disconnects hearing and doing. This is the first part of useless religion that I'd like you to hear and understand in the text. Useless religion, according to James, disconnects hearing and doing. Contextually, that is what James has been speaking about these last several verses. He's not against hearing. In fact, the instruction is to be swift to what? Hear the word of the Lord. The directive in the text is to move on, though, from hearing to doing. From hearing to obeying. Obeying what? God's truth. One's religion is useless if he disconnects his hearing of the word with his doing of the word. That's the message of James 1, 22 to 25. You look at verse 26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. So one's religion, not only does it disconnect hearing and doing, but one's religion is useless if he disconnects God's voice on the matter. Disconnecting God's voice. Not that you and I can keep him from speaking. That's not what I'm talking about. But you are intentionally disconnecting what God has to say in your life. In fact, the text says, if anyone among you thinks he is religious. Literally, the idea here is, if anyone supposes himself to be religious. If anyone thinks or supposes himself 
to be religious. You see, the one who supposes himself to be religious, this is more of a subjective, this is more of an opinion rather than a fact. He supposes himself to be so. And you look at the end of the verse and you read that this one's religion is what? Useless. Or worthless. Why is it useless? He fails to obey God on the matter. He has disconnected, he's disconnected what God has to say on his situation. And he has opted for, and even substituted even, his own voice, his own opinion on what it means to be religious. Church, it's not the place you want to be. Substituting your voice, your opinion, for what God has already spoken. When we choose to disconnect God's voice on the matter before us, it is never a wise decision. Ever. One writer said that the genuineness of anyone's religion is not determined by his or her own qualifications or standards, but by God's. James addresses one other point to consider about what he calls this useless religion. Not only does useless religion disconnect hearing and doing, and not only does useless religion disconnect God's voice from your situation, but useless religion disconnects the tongue from the heart. Useless religion disconnects the tongue from the heart. Tell me, church, what does the Bible have to say about the connection between the tongue and the heart? Can you think of or recall any verses that tie the heart and the tongue together? For starters, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your what? With your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness... And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. See, Jesus, in speaking to that group of Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12, 34 through 37, he says, brood of vipers. By the way, when you begin a conversation in that way, it sets the tone, doesn't it? That's what he, that's what he says, brood of vipers. Listen to what he says. How can you, being evil, speak of good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I'll say that part again because it's important. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus says. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that every, for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Jesus spoke those words. Your words matter. And your words come out of, flow out of, what's in your heart. Useless religion disconnects the relationship between what comes out of your mouth and what's in your heart. 
Mark 7, Jesus is teaching on what it is that defiles a man. You remember that? And there was this big thing on, you know, foods that go in and how those foods might defile someone. Jesus says, hear me, everyone understand, listen, there's nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. What comes out of a man, that defiles a man. Listen to this. For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed, listen to what comes out of the heart of men. Evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit. I'll emphasize deceit because James in chapter 1 has emphasized deceit. That comes out of the heart of man. Lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Foolishness. All these things come from within and defile a man. Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. A few verses later in Ephesians 5, 3 and 4. But fornication and un, all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be named among you. Why? It's not fitting for the saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. You see, church, I believe we have disconnected our tongue from our hearts. I believe we have said to ourselves, you know what? Because I'm, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're just relying on a... On a profession, a walking the aisle, a praying a prayer. Maybe you're relying on some of those things and you think it's okay to continue living however you want to live. You think it's okay to continue talking however you want to talk. The Bible says absolutely not. That's useless religion, church. Proverbs twenty two eleven connects the heart and the mouth. He who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips, the king will be his friend. Even more important than the king of the day being your friend is what God thinks about this. This is the way God has called us to live and operate. Not to disconnect what comes rolling out of our mouth with what's in our heart. The text says, if anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue. Restraining the tongue. James is going to come back to this. For now. The question needs to be asked. Is there a need today at all church to restrain your tongue? I'm asking some rhetorical questions today. I realize that. But I hope you see that the text is also pointing you in a certain direction. Leading you in a certain way. Restraining the tongue. See, the deception occurs when you base your religion on the subjective, your, your opinion, as opposed to God's perfect word. What does it look like for your tongue to be unrestrained? Filthy language, gossip, slander, harsh words, critical words, contentions, sarcasm, just to name a few. 
these words that come out of your mouth. That's quite a list, by the way, an unrestrained tongue. The fact that they would come out is a problem, but there's an even greater problem, I believe. And that is for the Christian who is okay with these words coming out and the Christian who doesn't see any problem with them coming out. The Christian who rationalizes why it's okay for them to come out. Remember that you are feeding a heart that is already, according to the scripture, it's deceptive, is it not? Keep your heart with all diligence. We need that reminder. We need to stir up each other in that regard. Religion that does not transform the heart and thereby the tongue, says one writer, is totally worthless in God's sight. When you read the Bible, you begin to see ample evidence of what James calls useless religion. It's useless. It's worthless. Only a matter of time before the charade gets seen for what it is. James says that your tongue... Your tongue will give you away at some point. What's in your heart eventually manifests itself in words that roll off your tongue. Or as one said, a corrupt and unholy heart eventually will be exposed by corrupt and unholy speech. As one who professes the name of Jesus, and I'm speaking to the Christian here, the one who calls himself a Christian today. Ask yourself some pointed questions from the text. Have I been disconnecting my hearing of the word with my doing of the word? Is obedience to the word of God evident in my life? Have I been intentionally disconnecting God's voice in my life? Am I really concerned with what God has to say? You who claim the name of Jesus. Perhaps you need to disconnect the world's voice. Start connecting to God's voice. Have I disconnected my heart from my words? Am I operating in the same light of Isaiah the prophet's words? These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Disconnected. Disconnected living. Useless religion. That's a picture of what James gives us here in verse 26. Praise the Lord, there's something other than useless religion. There's pure and undefiled religion. It's important to note once again that the Bible balances what not to do with what to do. Right? The scriptures call us to flee certain things in this world and at the same time to pursue certain things. Amen? We're to put off, we're to put on. We're to lay aside, we're to lay hold of. Together, we do those things. Is there anything worse than a Christian practicing useless religion? I can't think of a whole lot. 
a Christian practicing useless religion. And while you may be tempted to think of others who have deceived, been deceived from the truth, I'd like you to listen to know that you have been given the truth as it is taught in Jesus Christ. If you are practicing a useless religion, it's not because God has somehow let you down. Let's be real clear about this. God hasn't let you down if you're practicing useless religion. Because one of the things we found out in useless religion is that you have intentionally decided in your own accord, your own opinion, to just disconnect what God has to say. And you're going to be okay operating your course. God has set forth his word of truth that you might walk in it and stop with all of the masquerading. Masquerading is characteristic of the evil one, not the father. Masquerading is seeing that the right people see the right face. Go back to the day of the theater when they would don the mask. And they put the mask up. And they want the right person to see the right face. And when they're in company with somebody else, they put up another one. church as a Christian do we operate that way it ought not be so the Christian practices pure and undefiled religion he's imperfect for sure but he's bent on pursuing purity with his life and charity toward others in need pure has in mind clean. Really, these two words are are saying the same thing, just in different ways. Pure in the positive, pure, clean, undefiled, without contamination. So we see pure and undefiled religion, first of all, connects. We'll put them together now. Pure and undefiled religion connects hearing the word and doing the word. The command back in verse 22 is to be a doer of the word. And in verse 25, then James illustrates the doer of the word as one who looks or stoops down. Remember, he stoops down. He's looking intently into the perfect law of liberty. And he continues. He abides in it. He doesn't go away from it like the hearer only. But pure and undefiled religion also Also, look what it does. It connects God's voice on the matter at hand. Pure and undefiled religion, it connects God's voice on your matter, on your situation. The one practicing useless religion may know what God's word says, but he's intentional about disconnecting. And he continues living a religious life, not by God's standards, of course, but by his own standards. Standards which are not, by the way, fit for a child of the king. When you fail to operate according to his power source, the Holy Spirit, your only recourse is to operate in the flesh. Truly, it is a useless religion. Pure and undefiled religion. Delights 
in connecting God's voice into the situation. As a child of the king, you are under obligation to walk according to the commands of the king. You see yourself under authority. And before you march forward, you are going to make sure that you're swift to hear from this word of the Lord. You are quick to take a look and see into this word so that you can know, so that you can figure out what does God have to say about my situation? What does God think about the situation I find myself in right now? Some of you right now are in a situation. It's a difficult situation. It's a hard situation. You don't know what to do. Connect to God's voice. Don't disconnect. Don't try and go off on your own. Don't isolate. Connect to his word. Be quick to take a look and to see what he has to say. Cry out for his wisdom on your situation. Be concerned about hearing his counsel on how to proceed. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? See God. Matthew 5, verse 8. Oh, I love the way Psalm 119 begins. Blessed are the undefiled in the way. The undefiled in the way. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with how much of their heart? Their whole heart. All of it. Moses, in writing the book of Deuteronomy, is reminding the people of all that God did to show them that he is God alone. I love these words in Deuteronomy 4, 35 and 36. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God. Remember on Mount Sinai when the people heard the the thunderings and the lightnings and saw the fire. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God. There is none besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice that he might instruct you. On earth he showed you his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. I want you to think about something this morning. The God of heaven who spoke long ago to the Israelites at Mount Sinai is also the God who speaks to you today. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice. Is this not the God-breathed word of God? Isn't this his word? He put this word into play for us. Pure and undefiled religion welcomes his voice. Longs to hear what God has to say. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice. That he might instruct you. Why? Why? Why, church, would you ever desire to disconnect, disconnect his voice from your situation? Why? A Christian of all people should have an ear bent to hear God's voice and carry out his instruction. 
do you realize that he allows his voice to be heard? He allows his voice to be heard? Do you realize that it is a privilege to hear from God? Notice the text says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. Useless religion is disconnected to God's voice. Pure and undefiled religion is plugged in to God in his voice and ready to obey. What does this pure and undefiled religion look like, though? James doesn't leave the subject without first painting another picture of what he's talking about. Thank you, James. We appreciate it. We need Painting pictures. We need to be able to see this. Thank you, James. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Look at the text. What does this kind of religion look like? To visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So pure and undefiled religion not only connects the hearing of the word and the doing of the word. Pure and undefiled religion also connects God's voice on your situation. And pure and undefiled religion connects the outward and the inward. The outward care for others, the inward holy living. Now, to be sure, this is not an exhaustive list of pure and undefiled religion. Right? This is not exhaustive, but it does serve characteristic of such a religion before God and the Father. It's as though James is saying, you want to know what this kind of religion looks like? Here are two examples that characterize what I'm talking about. And we could summarize them this way. Serving others in need, submitting to God in purity of heart. The text says to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. To visit. Now, we've got to be clear here. The idea of to visit is not simply to make a house call. Not simply check in, see how some orphans are doing. Not simply pick up the phone and check and see how an elderly widow may be doing. That's not the idea James is communicating here in the text. When we tend to think of the word visit, that's usually what comes to mind. Visit, I'm just going to stop in and pay a visit. That's not what James is talking about. So what is he talking about? The word to visit has in mind to provide care for. Exercising oversight on their behalf. Helping them in whatever way that's needed. In fact, it's the word that's used. Listen to this. This is interesting. This word is actually the word that's used. It's episkopos, bishop, elder. In the church, it's the word that describes the elder. Isn't that interesting? Well, what's an elder do? Let me give you four. These aren't my own, but they're very helpful. An elder guards the flock, feeds the flock. What else does he do? He leads the flock. And he cares or shepherds the flock. And that last one, care, that's that's the idea of what's presented here in James 1.27. So just as an elder is called to provide care for the flock, so too the Christian is called to exercise care for one another for those in need. Why mention orphans and widows here? I believe they capture the heart of James's pastoral concern. 
Two groups of people who cannot, oftentimes cannot, not able to fend for themselves. The orphan and the widow are not typically in a position to repay someone either for their care. This is the idea of pure and undefiled religion. Caring for those who cannot offer you anything in return. Why the mention of orphans and widows? I believe God's heart is inclined in that direction. Exodus twenty-two, twenty-two: You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. Deuteronomy 14, 29. Every third year, the people were called to store up the tithe of the produce and the Levite because he has no portion nor inheritance with you and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates. They may come and eat and be satisfied. Why? What's the purpose? What's the end result? That the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. Deuteronomy 27, 19. It sits in the list of those curses. Cursed is the one who perverts the justice due to the stranger, the fatherless, the widow. And this is probably my favorite one. Psalm 68, verse 5. A father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. A father of the fatherless, A defender of widows is God in his holy habitation. Perhaps because it's so close to the heart of God that James characterizes pure and undefiled religion this way, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. I do believe, church, in fairness to the text, a word needs to be spoken here. I believe it needs to be Voiced that James is not primarily instructing his scattered flock to start an orphans and widows ministry. Social justice concerns abound today, do they not? And one can make the jump here in the text that James is advocating that the church place her priority in caring for widows and orphans. 1 Timothy chapter 5, if we know our Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 5 advocates the proper protocol for the church in caring for widows. Quite a lengthy passage. Understand that such care toward widows and orphans is deemed good and right by the Lord. The caution here is this. One can jump, make a jump in the text and raise up the banner of orphans and widows and think that if I just help out these orphans, if I just help out these widows, that's the pure and undefiled religion God's calling for here in the text. If we go there, We're missing the point, I believe, of what James is addressing. James not only speaks to visiting orphans and widows in their trouble. But he also says to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Both are characteristic of pure and undefiled religion. Connected together is where James would have them. This is the kind of worship God would have us bring to him. 
question that maybe comes to mind is, how is visiting orphans and widows connected with keeping oneself unspotted from the world? One writer says this, it shows the inseparable connection between charity or love and holiness that shows, it shows that religion is false or useless when it does not teach holiness as well as charity. Oh, that's so good. Because you see, church, there are some today, there are some today, perhaps many today, that separate these two. Praising charity or loving others as a merit to compensate for the defect of unholiness. The idea of to keep in the text, to keep oneself unspotted, has in mind a continual, ongoing process. Not a one-time deal. We're to keep on doing this. To keep oneself unspotted from the world. A world that spends its time doing nothing but throwing mud in your face as quickly as it can. You are to keep yourself unspotted from that world. Now, it's hard enough to keep yourself unspotted, is it not? The context of where you're called to carry it out, the world... Elevates the difficulty level. Amen? We're called to be unspotted, to keep ourselves unspotted. Why? Why keep yourself unspotted? You know, I think of the psalmist sometimes, Psalm 73. He saw all around him, all these people seem to be getting ahead. And he's like, why am I doing this? Why am I spending my time, spending all, the, all my wheels and energies here? I'm trying to follow you, but I'm seeing all these people over here, and they seem to be getting ahead. They seem to be getting rich. They're having a lot of fun. They, boy, it looks like they're having a great time over there riding in that new car. It looks like all oh, that big house they got. Oh, that's a neat thing. And we start keeping our eyes, our focuses on what these other people are doing. And what they seem to be getting away with. What all the fun they seem to be having. Is it worth keeping yourself unspotted from the world? I believe the Bible would say yes. While there are others, I'll give you three. Three good reasons for the Christian to keep himself unspotted from the world and her attractions. First, Christ has redeemed you. Christ has redeemed you. First Peter... Chapter 1, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. A fear of the Lord, that is. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and, here it is, without spot. Christ redeemed you. Why should you keep yourself unspotted from world? Christ redeemed you, church. By the blood of the Lamb. Why else should you keep yourself unspotted? God's word commands you to walk this out in the present, right now. God's word says so. Timothy chapter 6, 13 through 15. Paul says, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things that you keep commandment without spot. Keep the word without spot. 
blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. God's word commands you to. Why keep it? Why keep yourself unspotted from the world? God's word commands you to. If you are connecting yourself to God's voice, this is what God's voice says. It ought to be worth every ounce of our energy. There's a third reason. Why keep yourself unspotted from the world? You need to be ready for when Christ comes back. 2 Peter 3, verse 14. Therefore, beloved. Therefore, by the way, he's just talked about the new heavens, the new earth. Oh, this is going to be wonderful. This is going to be a wonderful thing. Therefore, in light of all of that, looking forward to these things, he says, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. John, as he's writing his first epistle, he's also looking forward. He's also looking forward to being able to see Christ as he is. And he says, in the meantime, we are to be spending our days purifying ourselves just as he is pure. Church, it's worth it. Keeping yourself unspotted from the world, it is worth it. And I believe here in the text, James is advocating once again personal responsibility of keeping oneself unspotted from the world. It's so important, church, for us to understand this, this personal responsibility. Children, this is not your parents, primarily your parents' responsibility. Yes, we're to train you in, up in the, train, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We're to show you and teach you the word. We're to be an example of the word before you. Yes, but children, you are responsible before the Lord to walk as the Lord has called you to walk. Walk. You know, some of you might remember the days when you were younger and you were out riding that bike, you remember? Trying to ride that bike and you had those training wheels and you fell maybe a couple times, lost your balance maybe a couple times. But there came a day when you had it, you got it and those training wheels came off and you were able to ride your bike without those training wheels. Young people, I'm concerned some of you may have the training wheels still on. Here's the sad part. You like it. You like it. If you are in Christ... God has given you all that you need for godliness in life. That's not my words. That's 2 Peter chapter 1. He's given you everything you have. He's given you the power source that's needed. He's given you the connection that you need to walk in freedom, in newness of life. Walk. Because you see, the word says that if we say we abide in him, if we say we're a Christian, we are now under obligation to walk as Christ himself walked. This is not an option. First John 2 says, if you have a love for the world, the love of the Father, not in you. Remember, it goes back to what Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. Or Romans 12, verse 2, do not be conformed, what? To the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind. How does your mind get renewed? Going what we're talking about, James 1. It gets renewed as you connect, as you connect to hear God's voice on your situation. 
The text here presents two kinds of religion, church. The text addresses the scattered flock, Christians. That's, the text is addressing Christians. The fact that two kinds of religion are addressed by Pastor James is an indicator that something is not what it should be. That beep has started to sound. You know, you spend enough time around a group of people and you learn what's most important to them. You start to see what they worship, what they hold dearly. You might hear what they say, but you linger long enough and you pick up what they worship. James 1, 26 and 27 comes back to two basic understandings at the heart of the gospel. Love for God. To keep on keeping yourself unspotted from the world. And love for people. Characterized by visiting orphans. And widows in their trouble. The basics go together. And I believe that's what James would say. If James were standing before you this morning. I believe that's one of the things James would say. In regard to these words. They were never intended to be disconnected from one another. Love for God without love for others is a dead faith. And that's exactly where James is going. Love for others without a love for God is a charade. It's useless religion. As a Christian listening to this word, you might be inclined to take the path of least resistance. And you might ask, what do you mean? James has addressed two basics of the gospel. Two. Two. I'm concerned that you'll leave here today and you may be content upholding one of them. The path of least resistance. Some of you, until now, have put on a smiling face and have met some needs as you've seen some needs. You have excelled at deceiving your own heart and you seem to oddly enjoy this path because it allows you to continue living according to your own standards, your own kind of religion, walking in darkness, lest your deeds be exposed. James sets forth God's standards in the text. Pure and undefiled religion has been defined and characterized this morning. Two basics are called for today. And the day of disconnecting one or the other is not acceptable. God's word tells us so. It's not acceptable. Hearing only is not the solution. So what we're going to do as a result of hearing the word this morning, we're going to connect hearing with doing. That's what we're going to do. Hearing and doing. Second thing we're going to do. I want you to know God's voice. I believe the text today, God's voice is available to you in all of life. So we're going to connect God's voice with your situation and obey what he instructs you. Out of heaven, he let you hear his voice, remember? That he might instruct you. Third, connect your tongue with your heart. Connect your tongue with your heart. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that you can just wag your tongue any way you like and God's going to still bless what you're doing. They always, always go together. Words flow out of your mouth 
They come from your heart. That's the teaching of the scripture. And connect your outward service toward others with your inward pursuit of God through Jesus Christ. Holy living. Holy living. Be holy because I am holy, God says. That's a good reason to be holy. Because God said so. And we also read those passages that spoke to why we are to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Our love for others is predicated on our love for God. Our relationship in Christ fuels our faith to love others as the Father would have you. Do these things. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that your acts of service make up for an unholy life. That's a lie. Connect the basics. You know, church, there's a green light that I saw go on when I put that and affixed that smoke alarm back on the ceiling. It stayed on. It stays on to let me know that the smoke alarm is properly set. It's an indicator that it's ready to beep when and if needed. There's a connection now with the power source. And oh, I was thinking about how the church, this would be wonderful, would it not, that the church would have green lights on and ready. Pure and undefiled religion connects the spirit of Christ and operates in green light mode. We are ready. The Christian is ready. He's watchful. He's alert. He's desiring to connect his love for God and his love for others. And he's desiring to do that all of his days. Are you ready? Let's do that together. That's the kind of life the Lord's calling for. Let's not do one or the other. Thinking that if I just do enough of this one, it's going to take care of this one. No, both. That's the message James is coming across. The basics, these basics go together. Let's connect and keep them together as we daily walk with the Lord. Let's pray. Father, this is good news, what you've given to us this morning. Helpful, helpful. I pray this body stays connected, desires to be connected. And in all things, Lord, takes the hearing of the word and the doing of the word and connects them together. That this body would be about connecting your voice on their situation. That this body would be about taking the tongue and the heart and seeing that they are all so connected with one another. And in light of that, we would be diligent to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. That we would remember that you have redeemed us. That we would remember that your word has called us in the present to be operating in such a manner. To keep ourselves unspotted from the world. We would understand the responsibility you've given to us in Christ to walk this way. And you've given to us all the resources necessary to do so. Help us also to walk and keep unspotted from the world. Remind us 
each day that your son Jesus is still yet to return. And in light of that, may we be found unspotted, blameless, desiring to purify ourselves just as you are pure. Thank you for this good news message. It is really, in many ways, Lord, basics, core of the gospel stuff. And may the green light be on for everyone here that we would all be ready we would all be watchful we would all be alert speak to us Lord and I pray that our ears would be inclined to hear what you have to say we thank you for your good word in Jesus name I pray Amen